0: We are so glad that you've decided to join us on this Easter morning as we remember the story of Easter. You know, when I hear that word story, I, I just wonder, have, have you ever went up to somebody and said, well, what's your story? Or, or maybe you said it a little bit nicer and said, well, well tell me your story. What did you mean when you did that? You know what you meant, right? You, you looked at that person and said this, said, I, I wanna know about your life. Tell me about your life. Tell me about the things that happened. Tell me about those events that have impacted you. Tell me about the, the people that have made a difference in your life. I, I want to hear your story. You, you know, we all have a story, don't we? I know I have my own story in life. My story includes when when I was eight, uh, having grown up in church, being baptized, but not really even knowing Jesus as my Lord. But then later, recognizing 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 my need for Jesus and then giving my life to him. My story goes on to include being in middle school when I had a a coach and a teacher who so impacted my life that that's what I wanted to do for God. I wanted to impact kids by being a teacher and coach and so I got my teaching degree but my story also includes a time where God said I have a different plan for you and I said okay Lord I'll follow you and I followed him into ministry which is what I'm doing today. My story includes marrying my high school sweetheart that after I did that, man, everything's gonna be perfect, right? But only to get two years into a marriage or so and and realize that something was missing and we almost called it quits. My story, thankfully, includes a God who stepped in with his grace and redeemed that. And today, 38 years later, Kim and I are more in love than we have ever been. You see, we all have a story, right? You have your story. I have a story as well. Now, on Friday, we we began to talk about really Jesus's story. Uh, We talked about the the story of Good Friday. And we mentioned there that the story of Good Friday is is not a fictitious story. It's real. It's about the the events of Jesus as he came and as he died on a cross for your sin and and my sin. We, We saw on the end of Good Friday that Jesus was buried in a tomb, and so we look and say the story of Good Friday has ended, but we were reminded of this, that God's bigger story had not ended. Good Friday may have, but God's bigger story was continuing, and so where are we this morning? We're here today to continue to look at God's bigger story, and the God's bigger story includes the story of Easter. Now, as we're going to look at that today, what we're going to do, we're going to turn to Luke 24, because some of our church members leading up today have been reading through the gospel of Luke, and so we're going to concentrate there, though we'll be in some other places this morning. But we're going to look at the Easter story by looking at some of the people who have been involved with the story of Easter, because we'll see, as our story in life, some people have positive influence, some have negative. And so let's begin today, and let's look at some of the people involved in the Easter story. If you have your Bibles open, let's look Luke 24, uh, beginning in verse 1, where the first thing that we're going to see is some of the women who went to the tomb that morning are part of the Easter story, and this is how their story goes. It says, "...but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel." And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the rest. Now, when we look at these women who went to the tomb that morning, I'm inspired by them. I mean, let's remember when they went to the tomb, there was so much sadness and uncertainty. They were obviously saddened because the man that they had called their teacher, the man that they had called their Lord, the man that they had seen do many miracles, including raising Lazarus from the dead, the man who they hoped would be the Messiah was now dead. And for Jesus' followers, including these women, they were not really expecting him to die so young and especially to die such a cruel death on a cross as a criminal. And to top it off, he died as the Sabbath was beginning. Therefore, they could not prepare his body even for a proper burial. So as they went to the tomb that morning, it was an all-around sad day. And on top of the sadness, there had to be uncertainty about what to expect. Jesus was obviously put to death by the authorities. And so there was some fear that Jesus' followers might be next. So approaching the tomb that day, these women had to be at least a little bit fearful, maybe a thought in the back of these women's minds that maybe the authorities would be there to arrest them. However, these women were determined to honor their teacher. They wanted to make sure that this one who had done so much for so many that at least that his, he would have a proper burial. And so they went that morning to anoint his body with the burial spices they had prepared. However, what they experienced was something much different than expected. They never got to anoint Jesus' body because when they arrived in a tomb, they found that there was no body there. As the scripture says, they were were obviously perplexed. They were kind of wondering what's going on here. And while they were trying to make sense of everything, Luke tells us that these women had an amazing experience. That two men, and as described, they were surely angels, appeared to them to let them know that Jesus had risen from the dead. These angels reminded the women that Jesus had told them that this would happen. These angels reminded them because it was obvious that what Jesus had told his followers had not been fully understood. But at that moment, as the women saw the empty tomb, as they experienced an appearance by the angels, they began to understand the truth of Jesus's words. And at that moment, they understood that Jesus had been trying to tell them that he would resurrect from the dead. Now, what is the effect? Remember I said when a person tells their story, they share moments that make a difference in their life. People tell about aha moments where they come to their senses or maybe they see things a little differently. Well, this is an aha moment for these ladies. Look at how verses 8 and 9 stated it. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It is like at this moment, they say, now we know what Jesus meant. And in that moment, everything for them changed. Their view of the moment, their understanding of who Jesus was, and even their outlook on the future, it all changed. And notice, they left and told all the others what happened. They actually became the first evangelist for Jesus. When I think about these women, I'm reminded that sometimes the least expected Who are bold and faithful can become the greatest evangelist for Jesus. You see, in the time that Luke recorded his words, the testimony of a woman was not highly thought of. Women were not given much value, they were almost even treated as property. So you would suspect that the first people who would see the resurrected Jesus would not be women. That's not who you would expect, would see the empty tomb and share the good news. However, God operates differently, He always elevates people. In this case, God saw fit that women were the first who experienced and told that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. They had this experience because they were bold and they were faithful. They boldly faced the dangers of possibly being arrested in order to faithfully take care of Jesus and in the process had an amazing experience like few others. Because of their boldness, because of their faithfulness, these women became important in the story of Easter. Now, a second group of people involved in the Easter story were the disciples and other followers of Jesus. We can read about them several times in Luke 24, so let me first give a synopsis of these disciples. I mean, while the women were making their way to the tomb, the disciples found themselves gathered together really in fear. You know, this morning, all across our community, our, our families and, and friends, were gathered in homes all around, not only even in our community, but in the nation, somewhat in fear. In fact, of all Easters, this is probably the Easter we are most like the disciples in that we are gathered together behind the closed doors. Well, we may be at our homes today because of the fear and uncertainty of a virus, but what these disciples were on that first Easter morning, they were gathered together in fear of the authorities that I mentioned earlier. Remember one of the the disciples that Peter, uh, he even out of fear on the night that Jesus was going to trial right before his crucifixion, he denied knowing Jesus three times. In some ways, these disciples did wonder, were they going to be the next one arrested and put to death? In another way, these disciples, though, were in the same boat as the women. They were confused and not understanding what Jesus had told them. We get a glimpse into two of the followers who are not specifically of the 11 disciples. They are simply known to us as two men on the road to Emmaus. As they were leaving Jerusalem on the day of Jesus' resurrection, they were talking about all the things that had happened. Even the, the news that the women had brought them that the tomb was empty and that they had seen these angels. And so as they walked and talked, the risen Jesus appeared to these two men on the road. Now, scriptures tell us that initially their eyes were blinded. It kept them from recognizing him. And as they talked, one of the things they said is what we read in verse 21 in Luke 24, where it says, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Of course, Jesus' crucifixion made them doubt that Jesus was the redeemer. I mean, how could he be a redeemer and have been crucified on a cross? So they were expressing the truth that they had been disappointed, but now that they were confused because of the empty tomb. As Jesus listened to them talk, here is part of his response to them. He said in verse 25, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then verse 27 says, And he, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, as I look at this account that Jesus had with these two men, it's funny because Jesus, in a way, scolded them for being slowed to believe, but then he explained how all of the scriptures pointed to him and pointed to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I'm sure in part he explained to them how Isaiah the prophet foretold about the Redeemer's death when in Isaiah 53 it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As Jesus continued to, to talk to them and even broke bread with them as we did a while ago as we had our communion together, eventually their eyes were open. They recognized Jesus, and they, like the women, went to tell the other 11 disciples that Jesus was alive and what they had experienced. No doubt, like these women, they too had their aha moment, and life was never the same. Now, it wasn't just those, these two followers, though, that Jesus encountered after his encounter on the road to Emmaus, as the disciples were gathered together, confused and frightened, Jesus appeared to, to them as a group. When he appears to them, he first says, peace to you, which is something they really needed to hear in the moment of utter chaos, but then he says to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for his spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. You know, like the two on the road to Emmaus, it was almost as if Jesus codes them when he says, why are you troubled and why do you doubt? He, he asked them this question because of all the people who should have known who Jesus was and what he was going to do, it should have been the disciples. I, I mean, it's somewhat understandable that the crowds in general did not understand who Jesus was. I mean, the crowds had heard him do many teachings. They had saw his miracles that he had accomplished, but they had not been a part of some of Jesus's intimate talks with the disciples where Jesus seemed to be more clear in explaining what was coming. See, the disciples had no excuse. They should have known what was going to happen to Jesus, yet they were still troubled and they still doubted. But let's not be too harsh. Wouldn't we have been the same? In fact, I wonder right now, if if I came and said, you know what, I have discovered a cure for the coronavirus and then begin to announce it to the world, you think there would be skeptics Absolutely. Why? Because to this point in the pandemic, there doesn't seem to be any real cure. And so if someone comes and says, I have a cure, it's not going to be easily accepted. People are going to have to say, prove it to me. We, we have to see that this is going to work. Well, that's really where the disciples were at. They had never seen someone resurrect from the dead before. And so they had to say, prove it. Show, show us that, that you can be resurrected from the dead. And so what does Jesus do? He shows them his hands and he shows them his feet. He shows them the scars and said, see, I've been crucified, but now I am alive and well. Now, after Jesus shares with them that they, 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 all this stuff, they, they have their aha moment. They finally get it and more fully understand what Jesus had taught them. Jesus then goes out with them to Bethany, ascends into heaven, and this is what we read in verse 52, and, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising God. You see, after experiencing the resurrected Jesus, these disciples were filled with joy. They had been filled with fear and uncertainty, and now they have great joy in their hearts and they continually worship God. In fact, if we'll continue to read in Acts, which is Luke's follow-up letter to to the Gospel of Luke, we'll see where the disciples themselves become bold witnesses for Jesus. Again, it radically changed their life. Now, when I think about these disciples, here's what I'm reminded of, that bold faith can sometimes be preceded by confusion, doubt, and even fear. What we forget is that faith is often a journey, a journey with ups and a journey with downs. And if we look at specifically even these disciples' journey, they're interesting. I mean, Peter was a man who was initially bold and fearful, even denying Jesus. But then he's forgiven, restored, and extremely bold again. I mean, Thomas was a man who was a doubter, who questioned everything. He even questioned when we was told that Jesus had been resurrected. But then after seeing Jesus' scars, made one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture about Jesus when he said, My Lord and my God. You see, each disciple had his or her own individual story that when intersected with Easter story became a radically different story. And I'm glad we have their stories recorded because it reminds each of us there is hope even if we have had confusion and doubt and fear, we can move to hope and peace and boldness. You see, as part of the Easter story, the disciples remind us that there can be faith after fear and doubt. Now, there's another group I don't want to mention that Luke, though, doesn't really mention after the resurrection, and that group is the religious leaders. You know, we saw last week that the religious leaders were threatened by Jesus because they were fearful that that he would upset things with Rome and it would cause them problems, that they might lose their powerful positions. And so, if you know the story of Jesus, you also know that the Jewish leaders were the ones who had Jesus put to death for their protection. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read about these religious leaders, there's always a part of me that's hopeful that they were simply misguided, that somehow they truly believed they were trying to honor God. However, I'm not sure I can say they truly believe that, but I know I can say that at least they were very much blinded to the truth of the evil in their own hearts. I want to quickly mention that some of the religious leaders in Jesus' day did recognize the truth. That They were in tune with God. In fact, Luke mentions one such man after Jesus' death before the resurrection in chapter 23 when we read this. It says, says now, there was a, a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He, he was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. So here we see Joseph, who was a a righteous man, a member of the council, but did not consent with the actions of the rest of the ruling council, and he did what he could to honor Jesus. I'll tell you, I am thankful for men like Joseph who are willing to go against the crowd that is doing wrong in order to do what is right and honor the Lord. Because truthfully, the majority of these religious leaders were not doing right. In fact, Matthew, who wrote this letter to the Jewish audience, in, in, in mind specifically, addressed the actions of these leaders and records this action after the resurrection. It says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. When, when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. You see, our hope for the religious leaders would have been that after the resurrection, that their opinion of Jesus would have been changed and that they would recognize who Jesus was. Remember, the religious leaders should have known more than anything about the promise of the Messiah and also the path the Messiah had to take. Remember, these religious leaders spent their life studying the Scriptures. They should have known about the Messiah, and so they should have recognized how Jesus was fulfilling the Scriptures. But no. Instead of finally recognizing Jesus and recognizing their mistake, they simply seek to discredit the resurrection, even spreading a lie, to put doubt in the minds of people that Jesus had really been resurrected. Putting doubt by trying to say that Jesus didn't resurrect, but that his disciples simply came and stole his body. And you know what's interesting about verse 15 is that it is a lie that even now is still spread by some to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. Now, when I think about these religious leaders, I'm reminded that power and religion can often blind a person to the truth of Jesus. And many have have given into power. Many have given into religion and rejected Jesus. So, as I think about this, we now have looked at three groups of people who were involved with that first Easter story: the women at the tomb, the disciples, and the religious leaders. But now, what I want to do is I want to change focus because I don't want to look at groups of people anymore. I want us now to turn to a person—the one who is really what the Easter story is all about. That one is Jesus. As we look at Jesus, the first time Jesus enters the Easter story is really after he had had exited, after he had exited the tomb. Most of you already know that on that first Easter morning, what made the story change so drastically is when the women arrived at the tomb and Jesus was not there. It was such a great story because no one had ever resurrected from the dead before. Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, which highlighted the power of Jesus, but no one had resurrected on their own before. Therefore, Jesus' resurrection pointed us again to his power. After his resurrection, we read that Jesus then appeared to many people. If you read, in fact, all the gospels, you'll see where Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, the two on the road to Emmaus, the disciples, these women that we looked at, others who were gathered there in the upper room. Later, he appears to many others before he eventually ascends into heaven. It should be obvious to all that, again, this is even the climax of the Easter story. There's nothing greater than Jesus' resurrection from the dead. In fact, it is the resurrection that truly proved who Jesus is. It proved that all the things that Jesus said he could do and all the things that he says he was are true. The resurrection is so crucial to the Easter story and really the whole of God's bigger story that the Apostle Paul later observed in 1 Corinthians fifteen seven: If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But folks, listen, here's what we know. Jesus is resurrected. Paul made it very clear that the resurrection was central to all that we believe. It is why for Christians, Easter truly is the biggest day of all the days we celebrate. It's why today of all days is the hardest days for us to not be gathered together in a room celebrating our risen Lord. Because this is a highlight of what we believe. What we know is that Jesus has been resurrected. And because of the resurrection, we have ultimate hope. In fact, just think about a few things that Jesus said that his resurrection proves. Looking into the gospel of John, we see where Jesus said several things. Look at what he said in John 4. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in chapter 6, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And then in John 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And then in John 15, he said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Then in John 16, I've said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In this world, you will have tribulation. All right, hear that now, church. But take heart, I have overcome the world. In John 10 and 10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, these are just a few of the things that Jesus said and claimed, but there is so much we see in these claims. Jesus is saying that only he can satisfy the longing heart. Everything else leaves us hungry and thirsty. Jesus is saying that he is our source of strength, that on our own we are weak. Jesus is saying that if you want peace, he is the source of peace, even in the midst of suffering. He is saying that if you want hope beyond this life, that that you want to live forever, that he is the only source of eternal life. Jesus says, do you really want an abundant life that is real life? He says he is the source. He can give it. And he makes it, again, abundant life because, all right, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He laid down his life for us. Jesus died for our sin. Jesus died so that you might be forgiven. He died so that the wrath of God might be satisfied, so that you might learn to truly live. His resurrection proved all these things are really true. He is the source of all that we long for. Nothing else will do. Let's think for a moment where our lives were before this pandemic started. We were living life, trying to pursue happiness, peace, meaning, joy, success, independence. I mean, we can put many words upon it, but what were we really experiencing? For many, emptiness, frustration, depression, bondage, guilt, brokenness, chaos. We say that the COVID-19 has brought chaos, but let's confess that most of our lives already fit into that category. The chaos just looked a little different. What COVID-19 has shown us is that none of the things that we are pursuing can satisfy us, all right? And no matter how much we've tried to control life, that we are out of control. We are out of control. We realize many of the things that we have been pursuing for happiness, we can really do without. And what the pandemic has really shown us is that if we are truly going to have joy, fulfillment, and peace, it has to come somewhere other than ourselves. And that somewhere else is God, whom we had forgotten in the midst of our busyness and chaos. Thankfully, God has revealed his love for us and the means to have a relationship restored with him by sending Jesus to die for us. And Jesus also said this in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. As we are going through this pandemic, we know that this is a terrible situation. There are many who are dying from this disease. And in fact, we've had church members who have had loved ones who have died due to the virus. The reality for those who die, some will die and enter into an eternity separated from God because of their sin, but for others, they will enter into eternity where they will be in the presence of God forever. They will truly experience perfect joy and peace. Let me also say this. When the pandemic passes, many people will still continue to die, And, and most of them not from a virus. Some will die from cancer. Some will die from complications with diabetes. Some will experience a traumatic accident. Some will die after a long life well lived. Unless the Lord comes first, all of us are moving towards our death. And the reality, some of us are moving to an eternity apart from God and eternal punishment while others are moving toward an eternity with God in heaven experiencing perfection. The deciding factor is this, the resurrected Jesus. The highlight of the story of Easter and the turning point of God's story. The resurrected Jesus is what determines our future and really informs our present. It is Jesus that gives hope to both our present, and our future. In fact, here's where I want us to focus on as we move to a close. The real question is this. Are you a part of God's bigger story? Because God invites everyone to be a part of his story. Now, not everyone chooses to believe in Jesus, but everyone has the opportunity to believe and and be a part of God's bigger story. In fact, John made that clear when he wrote this in John 1. But to all who did receive him, Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, here's what I want to ask you this morning truly. Are you a part of God's story? You know, to be a child of God is to enter into God's bigger story. And there may be some of you this morning, and here's where you're at. You're saying, you know, I. I'm like the 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 women who went to the well that day. I mean, society looks at me and says, "I I don't have much to offer." In fact, all my life I've been told, "I'm never amount to nothing." Well, I want you to know this: God doesn't care what society says about you. God says He has got a great plan for your life if you'll come to Him. You know, maybe you look and say, "You know, there's so many people that are smarter than me. I, I I don't know enough." I got news for you. You can come into the hands of Jesus, if you offer your life to him, He can make you confound somebody who has a degree hanging on their wall that 's much greater than yours because God doesn 't care what your degree is. He just wants to know, Will you be faithful and bold for him here 's what I know today if you 'll come and you will place your hands in, in god 's hands and says god I 'm here." I'm faithfully coming to you with what I know, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of a little bit of doubt. God, I'm yours. And if you'll come to him faithfully and be bold before him, he can take your life and he can transform you and use you to a great witness for him. Or maybe you're like the disciples this morning. You're you're, you're confused. You you have doubt. You're full of fear. I I want you to know today, join the crowd. We've all been there before. We've all had confusion. We've all had doubt. We've all had fear. But here's what the disciples' journey tells us, that after that can come great faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, don't even let somebody else's story, listen, negate your story, because you may look and say, well, I'm not like them. I, I don't have a story. If you knew my past, if you knew all the things that I've done, if you know where I've come from, you would understand why I have such doubt. You would understand why I have such confusion. Well, God says, I'm not worried about any of that. He said, what I'm really worried about is will you bring your confusion, will you bring your doubt, will you bring all those fears to me and will you experience the resurrected Jesus because if you will experience the resurrected Jesus, God is ready today to transform your life. He wants to forgive you and he wants to give you a new life. He wants you to know this, that Jesus Christ did die for you and he died to give you life. He died to give you abundant life. You see, the only ones I don't want you to be like is really the religious leaders. Well, you're letting religion or power blind you to the truth of the resurrected Jesus. And, and some of you say, "Well, brother Scott, that's not me. I, I'm not religious, and I'm not into any power trip." But let me say this: even if you come and say, "I'm not religious. I'm an atheist," just know this: you're religious. Because even atheism is a religion. It may not worship the creator God. It worships maybe science. It may worship reason, but it's still a religion that you're caught into the tenets of that faith. And that religion is keeping you from following the resurrected Christ. I would say today, whether you're an atheist, agnostic, or somewhere in between, let me just say this to you. God loves you and he wants you to bring your confusion and your doubt to him. If you will encounter the resurrected Jesus Christ today, he wants to save you. Because even you say, well, Brother Scott, I'm not even on a power trip. Well, let's say, aren't we all honestly on a power trip? And the greatest power we don't wanna give up is the power to control our own life. And here's what we know, that if we give our life to Jesus, we gotta give up control. We have to say, Lord, I'm yours. You take my life and do it. Do with it as you please. But here's what I know. If you'll give your life to the resurrected Jesus Christ, he will change your life and he can use you for a great story of your own. You see, here's what I know about Easter. Easter. Easter may be an old, old story, but it's a powerful story. It's a story about how a Savior rose from that grave to, to change your life. And if you, again, you'll give your life to him, he is ready for you today. In fact, I think the old hymn goes something like this. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning, and then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Right there, that, that's, what, that's what you need this morning. Just God's all he's wanting to do today is repent of your sins and win the victory. And today you'll come before your risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and just simply say this, God, I'm here today because I know I'm a sinner. And I've fallen short of your perfect plan. And God, today I confess that sin to you. And today, what I want to do is not only confess my sin, but I confess what Jesus has done for me. I confess he died on the cross, but I also confess that I believe today that he rose again three days later. If you'll confess those things to God and invite him into your heart, here's what he will do. He will forgive you of sin. He will give you the gift of eternal life. and He will send the Holy Spirit to live in you and change your entire life. Will you come today to that Savior? Will you come to that Savior who we sing about in the old, old story? that Savior who came from glory. Will you today repent of your sin and experience the victory? That's what God wants today. I pray today that you'll join a part of God's bigger story, that you'll be a part of his story today and give your life to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we come in this moment. And we thank you that you have a grand story, a big story. And ultimately, it's a story of how you're working in all of eternity. But Father, specifically, as we come to this Easter weekend, your story that says when it comes to mankind that you have sought to rescue us from our sin. And that, yes, Jesus came and he died a cruel cross, a death that he didn't deserve, but a death we deserve for sin, but he died it in our place. But Father, not only did he die, but again, after being buried, resurrected, to prove again that he could forgive us, to prove that he could give us life. God, that is a great story. And I pray today that we will indeed enter into that story. I know there are some here today listening. And Father, they have never given their life to you. I pray today would be the day that they reach out to the living Savior, Today would be the day they give their life to Jesus and have their life changed forevermore. And then even for us who know you, God, that we would walk in that life that you've given us, that today, even in a pandemic, we'd have peace because we know who holds our future. And that, Father, as we get back, eventually the living life is normal, that, Father, we wouldn't even live like we used to live, but, Father, that we would leave even this pandemic living more for you, this one who has given us a grand story, and that, Father, we would proclaim your story to a lost and dying world. So speak with us this morning as we continue, Father, to worship in this song. God, would you speak to our hearts? And I pray maybe even some wouldn't even sing one verse, but they would be praying to you. And in this moment, they would give their life to that living Savior and join your big story. So bless this time as we worship, Father. And as I pray these things, I pray them in Jesus' name.